When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and today I'm chatting with comics writer Ethan Sachs to talk about his new project, Midnight Suns from Marvel, and to hopefully kick off your spooky season reading properly. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Ethan. Uh, It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. As an older comics reader, I finally remember kind of a similar title, Midnight Suns, you know, that has featured some of the same characters as as this incarnation, Midnight Suns, S-U-N-S, not to be confused with the original, which was S-O-N-S. So we have a, a reprised role here for Blade and a different take on the Ghost Rider with Spirit Rider. So let's kind of start with the composition of the team, which I must say has been pretty revamped with quite a bit of diversity. So can you break it down for me? Sure. Well, um, as you probably guessed, one of the main reasons why the title, the slight title change had to do with the sort of the more diverse uh, lineup, uh, as well as there is a video game coming out of that uh, called Midnight Suns with a U. And um, even though this is not an adaptation or really directly connected to the game, it is sort of coming out roughly around the same time. So I do think there is a slight inspirational element to it. Uh, so that is, you know, what what's behind the title. And there's a third aspect as well, which is that, you know, a midnight sun is is basically kind of light, light in the darkness. So there is a, a thematic element too. So wrap that all together. And that's how the the title came about. As for the uh the lineup, you know, it's a little bit of sort of back and forth internally to to come up with it, it it's kind of fun for anyone who plays something like fantasy football you know you put together a list of the characters you'd like to uh use and got almost all of them um in this case uh like wolverine is in the video game magic nico uh so it, it's a there's a different ghost writer in the video game i believe it's robbie reyes so there's some differences but i think so that was a part of it as well um then also there's some connection to Strange Academy, which is a series that I just loved reading. Uh, and there's a kind of a who's who of cameos that I can't really, or or major, more than cameos, but sort of supporting roles. Sure. Well, out of the, the whole cast, I'm kind of most excited about Kashala or the, the spirit writer. I've been looking for kind of more Native American representation in comics for quite some time. And she was, I think I was reading previously a Sorcerer Supreme herself, like in the 1800s or something. Yeah, so she was introduced uh, in a miniseries, 
the Sorcerer Supreme uh, miniseries that came out like uh, a few years ago now. So that was, uh, so there was that connection. Um, she's been a fascinating character to get to work with. Uh, you know, all the powers of, of Ghost Riders, the visual, you know, the flames and everything like that. Uh, but there's a sort of uh, person out of time element as well um, that I love, you know. And then also, it's kind of fun to work with characters that maybe aren't as well known yet. Uh, in addition to, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you have Wolverine, who's been stabbing and scratching things for you know, for uh, decades. And then, you know, you have a character that's just a, a couple years old. So I think it's kind of a, a nice range to play with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely opens up the the possibilities for exploration much, much wider than, than playing in the sandbox of somebody like Wolverine. So, yeah, some of the other characters are, you know, easily explained. We've got, you know, Blade, which is sort of a layup as well, you know, as as Wolverine. You know, and, and Wolverine, I guess, makes some sense given the the supernatural kind of arc with the recent Percy run with him fighting vampires and all that. But, you know, Zoe Laveau was an interesting one for me, you know, pulling in in Stranger Things, which, you you know, reference that you really enjoyed. And she's she's pivotal to the, the narrative kicking things off. But if you wanted to, I'm curious about her inclusion, because if you wanted to pull from the Academy, you could have really chosen any of the youngsters. I mean, Doyle was the one that would pop out to me to make the most sense kind of given what happened. So why Zoe? Uh, well, first of all, without giving too much away, there was something intriguing, similar to to uh, Nico, where this is somebody with um, a sort of radioactive last name that comes with a legacy. Yep. And, um, you know, and what that legacy means. And I'm trying to be very um, guarded because... Yeah like there could be certain expectations of who she'll grow up to be and how much, you know, nature versus nurture or how much um, control she has, or just even how much people will sort of accept out of her because of that legacy. So, you know, and she's, she's at at an age and I have a, a daughter who's 18 who just went off to university where I think like you're starting to really find yourself as as an individual and making your way into the world and and uh you know who are you going to be who do you want to be and so that's a big theme for her in the course of this book yeah uh it definitely has a relevance i mean i've i've got a 14 year old myself who who loves strange academy um i mean i think it's it's a fantastic book and so are you are we trying to reach out to a younger audience i mean we talked about the the demographics a little bit there so it's definitely it has a flavor of pulling to that that generation more yeah i mean i i always feel like if you if you reach out to um you know a smart 14 year old or uh you catch everybody you know when you're when you're writing at least like that's how i i sort of think when i write star wars when i write other things you know i want it to be accessible across a, a wide range hopefully but I feel like often if you if you target that smart teenager, then they're you're going to catch everybody because uh, there's some universal. Uh, you see that with the Marvel movies. You see that with, you know, Star Wars television shows, things like that. So I definitely in terms of how I think like that, you know, um, there were certain horror elements to this book, but I was definitely going for more of a, like a sort of PG or PG-13 horror than something like really R-rated you know, uh, very grisly or anything like that. For sure. Yeah. 
I'm I'm curious about um, Doctor Doom, who who kind of and how he roughly wedges into all this. You know, I feel like it's a little bit okay to to touch on him because he's in the trailer video. So yes, um, and and also uh, the cover of two. Um, so like just to basically for for uh, what I can give away without much of a uh, without much spoilers is that the uh, the sort of the story kicks off with this vision that every magic user in the world has at the same time. And it's Zoe like basically in this, uh, at the center of this vision. And it certainly seems like she's responsible for this coming apocalypse. And so different people have different reactions. You know, some people are out to protect her and other people are out to basically not take any chances. And so, uh, you know, Dr. Doom is very much a character that. I don't think would give the benefit of the doubt in that sort of situation. So, uh, uh, you know, it sets up a confrontation. And Lilith was like the the principal antagonist of the original Midnight Suns, you know, and I think she is the same in the video game, if I'm not mistaken, or at least her daughters or something like that, yes. you know, and, and like the, the tagline, we're being promised apocalyptic new villains with horrifying new powers. So, you know, I, what you can say anyway, you yeah. know, is, is will Lilith pop back up or? Um, I I will say no, uh, even okay. though that could be construed as a spoiler, but it's she's uh, I wanted to do something a little different from both the video game and also like, you know, as much as I love the original Midnight Suns, I did want it to feel like it was um, a different antagonist and a different uh, different storyline. OK. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to brag on your your co-creator there, uh, Luigi Zagaria. Did I pronounce that correctly? As far as I know, yes. <laughs> okay. It seems like a, a relative newcomer to comics. Um, he's done some Spider-Man stuff. And it's it's weird. I'm seeing like lots of Italians right now in, in the art game. Um, but yeah. his style really complements the roots of kind of where you're drawing from from the series. But it, it's a younger style. You know, it's a bit less defined. You know, Wolverine doesn't have like the popping veins all over the place right it's a it's a little more cartoony so can you talk about working with him and sure you know, yeah i mean uh uh to your to your larger point with uh it is a an italian renaissance if you will in comics i've certainly been very lucky marco cacchetto uh on old man hawkeye and paolo villanelli um on uh on uh, star wars bounty hunters uh so i uh, can vouch it's just just some incredible talent uh, a disproportionate amount of incredible talent for one country in the world right now uh but in, in terms of comics i've had just such a, an incredible experience with uh, with a number of italian artists um in the case of luigi it's it's always fun to just sort of in that first issue to sort of find your collaborative like common ground and all this kind of stuff and and one thing that i try to do in scripts with all the artists I work with is give them some space. So for example, if there's an action scene, I want them to choreograph it because like they're the visual experts. And so there's been more and more that would sort of let him um, or just giving him the freedom to, you know, everything from like character designs and some new characters to settings um, and some of the action beats as well. And he's just really thriving with it. He's just, it's just uh, I got another uh, page today for a future issue. And it's just it's just kind of stunning what he does. 
So yeah, I like I like the style because it, you know the hard moments feel scary, and then the uh, lighter moments feel fun. And you know he's he's great with physical expressions. Um, just it's really been a pleasure to work with him. Yeah, it's it was an interesting parallel for me um, with the Strange Academy layover without giving too much away. Um, and those similarities kind of in styles with, with, um, with he and, um, Umberto Ramos, who's working on strange, on strange Academy. So, um, I thought the two meshed really, really well. It feels like a nice compliment between the two. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think so. I agree. Yeah. I'm always amazed too at how effusive writers of, of, are of their editors at Marvel. Yeah. Um, yeah, in what little has been released about the series, you've talked about Tom Gorman giving you the chance to kind of play in this sandbox. So how much creative control did you have to put everything together? You kind of alluded to being able to put in almost every character you wanted. I mean, I know it's it's difficult with all the timelines in Marvel and you got to wedge, especially Wolverine, right? So he's got to fit in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and actually like that opened up, as an example, that opened up uh, our Ghost Rider, Spirit Rider, uh, because there was you know, the other, the two major names, I guess, in that, in that, uh, line were both sort of in the midst of, of, uh, other things elsewhere. So, um, I think that was an important part of this book is that it, this was not going to be something that felt like a, you know, video game tie in or something that could happen in another uh timeline or something that uh could be set anytime like this is specifically uh enmeshed in the 616 and like the continuity is affected uh like there there are repercussions of what's in this series that radiate past the series okay so it was very important to have an editor who could keep track of everything because you know there are like you say there are characters from different offices from the x office from the you know um avengers office so we have to make sure that we're not causing trouble for uh for them um so i think it was an extra hard job for tom uh but he's doing great like he's a fantastic editor to work with editors are underappreciated to begin with by i think most casual readers because you don't you know you basically don't necessarily notice how important they are to a comic because a lot of that is sort of behind the scenes. Right. But he's been fantastic. He was the one who brought me into Star Wars as well. Yeah. I was so was there a a, a big marked difference between working with those continuities within Star Wars versus working in with the continuity of like big umbrella Marvel? I mean, is is it layers of complexity, orders of magnitude difference there? Or? I mean, both are uh both have their challenges. Um and in, you know, certainly in a good way, like obviously for Star Wars, uh, Lucasfilm is very involved and and uh, our Marvel editors are really steeped in that, uh, in the mythos and everything like that. So there are layers of protection, you know, like you, if you are headed in the wrong direction, they'll, they'll pull you back. So I kind of feel like the guardrails are kind of obvious and, and uh, protective. And then working on something like this I think we discover it together because there are things going going on in the different offices that we may not be aware of that affect the continuity of these characters. 
So I don't, I, I don't know if this explanation makes sense, but I, I think they're different. They're both challenging, uh, both fun, but different. Okay. Yeah. I just like to even getting a little bit of the background and understanding myself, having done a, a couple of, of interviews with Marvel folks, it's just, I have a greater appreciation for those layers of complexity now and what the editors must go through because it seems like they do a lot of that work to just make it easier on you, the writer, to focus on what you do best. So, I mean, yeah. I, they do a great job of it too. I mean, you know, it, it is an amazing, amazing feat of engineering that all those comics get out the door on time when you're dealing with writers and artists and colorists and, you know, uh, printing issues, uh, supply chain issues, and like all this kind of stuff that is less glamorous, but they have to deal with and they, you know, they make it happen. Well, let me shift gears here a little bit. I, I need to kind of fill in how we got here exactly. So sure. your background, and I'm I'm going to use this term, so forgive me if it sounds bad, but like nerd news, like, uh, <laughs> you know, more than writing comics, you know, kind of if I'm understanding correctly, you know, so so how did we get from NBC News to let's do a supernatural team book, you know? Well, well so um, my not-so-secret origin story is that I was a, a journalist for uh, – 20 years at the New York Daily News. And I had some brief stops at like Wizard Magazine back in the day and things like that. But okay. my main role at uh, at the New York Daily News was what I would call the geek beat. So it was everything from like Star Wars to Game of Thrones to Walking Dead to comics. And over the years, um, since 2001, I had known Joe Quesada, uh, okay. then editor-in-chief and then later on chief creative officer. Sometime in 2016, I had this interview with Paul Blake, who played the character of Greedo in, in the original Star Wars. I asked him about who shot first definitively, you know, even though we both know, uh, you know, the original version of that scene. So he had this whole like sort of almost stand up comic like delivery about it. And that got me thinking. Um, I, I laughed so hard and I was thinking, well, there'd be an interesting story told like Rashomon of the murder investigation into Greedo's death. It just popped in my mind. So I asked Joe at a Met game we went to, was like, do you mind if I send you a spec script? It's just something I can't get out of my head. If you publish it, I'll donate the money to charity. Probably you won't, but, uh, it was like fine. And then he, I didn't hear from him for like four months. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I did the script, cause I'd never written a script before I reverse engine, I'd read a million of them. I reverse engineered what I liked about the scripts that I loved. And I contacted Lucasfilm cause I had some contacts there from my, uh, you know, journalism, uh, talked to briefly to, uh, one of the, the, uh, story groups, uh, experts to get some Canon, like what I couldn't, couldn't do. And I sent in the script short. The shortest version of this is eventually when when Joe got to it, he loved it, and he sent me an email that changed my life, which was basically like, I think you could do this full time, sent it to Axel Alonzo, who loved it, and that led eventually to Old Man Hawkeye, uh, and around the same time, there was a buyout at the New York Daily News, so I basically had seven months pay to make my career change, and uh, I did, um, and as far as the NBC News, I still sometimes uh, freelance for them. Um, I'm on leave right now just because I have too much other work, but uh, so I keep one foot in that world and I'm doing a nonfiction comic book series for AWA Studios, which is running on NBC News now called Climate Crisis Chronicles. 
So I keep one foot in that world. Wow, that seems uh, very relevant. I will have to check that out. I, I have an environmental science degree. So. Oh, okay. I will I will send you the link. Awesome. Yeah, so appreciate it. Um, it's a weird, strange coincidence that two of the three people I've interviewed that are kind of up-and-coming writers with Marvel have come from more journalistic backgrounds. So, um, and and even this similar story arcs. I mean, it, are they are they recruiting journalists these days? Uh, no, I mean, I I lucked into it just spur of the moment sending it, you know, cause I had this, I, I had known Joe for years, you know, he knew what I could and couldn't do. Um, so I think in my case, it's not indicative of any kind of trend. That being said, I do think there are certain things that if you've been in journalism for a long period of time, you know how to write on deadline, you know, you are efficient in that way. Like I, I would, Every former journalist I know who now writes comic books is incredibly fast at, at hitting deadlines, and, and which is an important part of uh, comics. So, uh, also, I think like you get an ear for, um, in a way, how to tell a story quickly. So, you know, as an example, like if you write an article in, in the lead, if if in the first few paragraphs, if you haven't hooked the reader, they're gone. So, like, right. there's. I think that does translate to some extent of of sort of how to distill a story into um, a way that the the reader can follow along at first and then keep uh, sort of keep following. Yeah. Well, in the press materials, you know, talking about the series, you said we're going to conjure up some otherworldly action to go along with some themes that have some real world resonance. So, you know, and, and in the first few pages, there was a there was a book burning thing, which again to me felt sadly relevant again um you know why was that important to include for you specifically it hit me pretty hard my mom was an english teacher so yeah there's i definitely think there is uh there are certain themes you know related to prejudice related to uh certain sort of philosophical intransience i guess or or just sort of um closed-mindedness maybe would be a less <laughs> Okay. That's a polluted way of saying it that I kind of feel like is is growing in this day and age. Um, you know, you definitely have people in their in their silos, uh, you know, without getting too specific uh, politically, because I do. The thing is, I, I always try to explore some themes that are important to me. But what I've learned is or I, what's been sort of ingrained in me is to not be too specific with placing it in a date and time. You know, like if you think about the X-Men, um, a lot of the the sort of this feeling of being other, um, if you if you made it hue too specifically to a point in time, it loses that universality that like a reader 10 years from now can read the same story and it'll feel dated, right. as opposed to it feels like it could have it could still happen today. And so that was kind of what I was shooting for is a sort of a a more um general than a more specific uh but i think these these issues are uh unfortunately growing you know yeah yeah this isn't a setup but you know how, how much should comics venture into evaluating real world problems you know like allegory is all well and good but yeah. we do live in those polarizing times so i mean is, yeah, is i mean it i think it i think it depends on the comics um you know certainly like you know just as an example when i'm writing this nonfiction. Uh, story. These are very specific, real-world stories. Uh, sometimes, if if a if a comic is period, like if the 
point in time it's set is a very big part of that comic. I think it's important to lean into the real reality. You know, when you're dealing with with superheroes, it becomes a little trickier because, again, you know, I look at some of the great ultimates um, and there'll be a character and it's clearly supposed to be, you know, Bush or. uh, But now it seems kind of quaint and a circus. We've moved into other crises. Yeah. You know, uh, like post Iraq war or or whatever. So it, it becomes then it becomes very dated. And so even if it just seems so resonant and, um, you know, you, you look at Civil War as another example, I think that was great because it has that whole personal freedom versus, you know, security, that whole debate. It was very specific when it came out, but I still think it can kind of resonate today because it's that sort of debate hasn't like the specifics have changed, but I kind of feel like that sort of debate is still universal. Sure. So that's where it becomes tricky. Like if you if you, you know, delve too much into say Trump uh, or Trumpism right now, ho- hopefully that 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 status quo will change to some extent over time. So sure. I don't I don't know if that makes makes sense or is um, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's yeah. Sort of how I feel. Yeah, I mean, because you you think about to me the one that really jumps out is Hellboy, right? So. It is very entrenched in the time period, and it, it it the the narrative is is woven through you know Nazi Germany and and you know yeah. and and occupied Europe. So yeah, what you're what you're saying makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. and you know, there's some characters who, if their story is that they're long lived and they're moving, you know, like like Hellboy is essentially can move through multiple time periods, uh, yeah. more or less unchanged, and you can't necessarily do that with Peter Parker as an example. So it becomes a little tricky because you kind of don't want to pin them down in a specific date and time. Yeah. So with Spirit Writer, then you you definitely had that that flexibility. That's a great example too. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the uh, the best part about getting to write this book? Uh, getting to play in a corner of the Marvel six uh, sixteen universe that I had never gotten to to play with. Um, I've dabbled with, you know, a story here, a story there, uh, but I didn't, you know, that sort of supernatural um, part of the corner of, of the universe I had not gotten to play with. So it was, it was, that was great. Um, you know, and there's certain characters, like I've always loved Blade. So uh, magic, like some of these characters, it it's kind of feels like the 11 year old me would, you know, or 15 year old me would have spontaneously combusted if i if he knew that i would get to do this oh for sure well my i think my first oh god to date myself dvd right my first dvd was blade so okay yeah <laughs> and uh midnight suns is a, a five issue miniseries is that correct correct yeah uh there's always the hope that there will be a sequel which i guess is a spoiler that we're not killing off wolverine but uh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, but for now it's a, a five issue miniseries. Fantastic. And just in time for spooky season to go along with all manner of pumpkin spice, everything that people seem to be consuming. So my favorite time of the year, uh, pump, pumpkin spice, notwithstanding. Yes. Uh, uh, no. Anyway, what else you got brewing in 2022 that you can talk about, of course. That I can talk about. Well, so there's this uh, Climate Crisis Chronicles, which is yep. currently running on NBC News and you can see it for free. Uh, on nbcnews.com it will be collected in a trade paperback later this year 
I'm just wrapping up a graphic novel that I have no idea for a smaller company, but I don't know. Uh, I can't really announce anything yet. So that's okay. finishing. Sure. And otherwise I'm working on, uh, on star Wars bounty hunters, uh, as an ongoing, which is, uh, you know, and, and by the way, speaking of sort of themes and things like that, like that is a book where, you know, it's set in this, you know, other galaxy and this, you know, kind of a, a space opera, but at the same time, I'm, you know, definitely have certain things like trauma and overcoming trauma that that has been sort of a personal thing for me that is very much the the major theme of the book and so these characters are sort of overcoming things uh particular valence so that's a way that you know it can wrestle with certain ideas but not necessarily have it grounded completely in reality okay uh where can people find you online uh ethan j Sachs on twitter that's probably the best place i'm sort of not really that prolific elsewhere well ethan thanks so much for joining me today i hope i did some journalistic justice to your your project given the background so yeah it was a, it was a great enjoyment to uh, hang out thank you very much yeah well midnight suns promises to be a great ride across the marvel universe i'm certain lots of interesting characters will pop up along the way give people something to sink their teeth into mm, there we go Maybe. had to do that <laughs> that was pretty good yeah uh, so everybody make sure to pick it up. This is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Eddie. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg but their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. 